I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Today's episode was one that I was so excited about. He lives in Peru. And when we were getting ready to record it originally, he had to cancel it because of the Wi-Fi in Peru. Oh, and I was so excited. And you know me, when I get on these podcasts, I have done so much research. I've listened, I've read the books. And then I got this um, message, but he wanted to know when the new, the, the soonest I could meet again. And so it was like three days after he said, sure. So I get excited again, read more of his books, go down, you know, go deeper, which in turn, I always know that it's always perfect and it's always working. I'm not supposed to have interviewed him two days ago. So when I know that it's perfect, I'm wondering, oh, I must need to learn more. And I I have really, <laughs> at that stage, had learned so much that I was so excited to meet him. So I had two more days in between that. And then I get on the interview and he tells me that after he realized that he didn't have Wi-Fi, he flew, got an airplane ticket and flew to Lima, Peru, so he could sit in a hotel and have our interview. So I thought, whoa, <laughs> I'm that special that you wanted to fly? And it was so sweet. So I, right away when he was telling me that, I was like, oh, I knew this guy was something special. I had heard him on Aubrey Marcus, his podcast. And I know Aubrey has neat different guests and into the ayahuasca and, you know, all that neat, you know, tribal journeys and all that. But I saw him on there and... For some reason, I don't think I even listened to the whole podcast. I just went and asked him to be on the show because there was something about him. And I know you will feel the same way. Oh, he is so cool and such a neat story. But let me tell you about Hamilton. And his name's cool. Hamilton Souther is his name. So his focus is on the universal spiritual philosophy. He is bilingual in English and Spanish and has a bachelor's degree in anthropology and has studied shamanism in California, Cusco, and the Amazon. Hamilton was given the title of Master Shaman by Alberto Torres Davila and Julio Lorena Pinedo after completing an apprenticeship under Alberto and Julio. He guides ceremonies and leads shamanic workshops in which he shares universal spiritual philosophy. There is so much to this man that even that intro doesn't do anything. And I could keep going, but I want him to come and explain to you what he does. He runs a retreat center 
down in Peru in the Amazon called Blue Morpho. And for sure, it's calling me. You'll hear our interview where I just know there's, I will be there one day. Anyway, you will love Hamilton as much as I do. Before I bring him on, remember to go to my website. I have exciting things happening this, this new year. New programs, still my raising confidence and magic path. You know, now you can join at any time. You don't have to wait for my eight-week classes. It's ongoing. And I take clients. You can get a call with me. We get calls, call me, connect with me. You know, it's just like, I want 2023. I want all the kids in this world to view life as everything's working for them and that they can be, do, or have anything. And when you realize that teenagers now, especially, need this, these tools, when you know of a teenager and you see them struggling or, you know, lost when they're trying to figure out their values and where to go, because I'm around that all the time when I, I mean, I'm around the teenage group because of my girls, but I, it is so necessary, these tools, I mean, more than ever. And I just, I want to help these kids. So there's new programs on my website. We can help these kids. We can help the parents. Even if you don't have kids, you can join my programs. But I'm excited about 2023. I just wish you all my excitement. <laughs> I wish you all that excitement. Hi, raise the vibration, you know, like we're all going somewhere. We're all moving to this new dimension and get on that carpet and let's go because it's amazing and it's so fun to be there. And I want all of us to be on that carpet ride together. So without further ado, let's bring Hamilton Souther on to the show. Welcome, Hamilton. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. All the way from well, Lima, Peru, <laughs> in the Amazon. And, you know, when I saw your, it was when you had your interview with Aubrey Marcus. And I just was kind of glancing at the, it was on Instagram. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I've been on this podcast journey for three years now. And I've interviewed people about ayahuasca and plant medicine. And so it's always been an interest of mine. But when I was listening to you, I go, oh my gosh, I really am something I'm drawn to you for some reason. I really didn't know. And I didn't really listen to it that long. That's the weird thing. I So then I ask you, and you were so sweet to respond. We set it up. And then I start going down my Hamilton <laughs> yellow brick road. I go, oh my gosh, Ashley. No wonder he was, you were, you know, you, like I always say, pe people, uh, I'm called to them. You know, there was something about you I was called to. And I, get, and I got it like, like after 10 minutes of looking at, ordered your books, start going down the, every podcast you've been on. And uh, you've just really kind of like, you've been in my ear for the last couple of weeks, but you've really opened my eyes to a lot of things and about life and who I am and why you do ayahuasca and why you believe in plant medicine the way you do. You've opened that door so wide. But, you know, I'd love to start back. I think we're like 10 years difference in age is what I've kind of come up with the math. <laughs> I'm 54. You're in your 40s. Am I right? Yeah, I'm 44. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we're 10. We are 10 years yeah, old. Exactly. 
<laughs> when you go back to, you know, you grew up, you went to college, you were into archaeology. That was your, you know, that's even cool that you, that was interest. Cause then you see now your path, if you had the, to look back and go, oh, that's where it all, you know, it's like, you know, you start seeing it from a higher perspective, your journey here in this body. But we take us, take us down, you know, when maybe not 2001 yet, but I, th- I feel like, you know, you uncovered your magic, that spiritual awakening moment where you, I feel like that was kind of your, the moment of where you're like, okay, I'm going to listen and go. Like you had this inspired. So just start with your story, kind of like, where you kind of do with other podcasts that I've been listening to you probably. Sure. <laughs> no, I'm happy to. Yeah. You know, I grew up in California in uh, Silicon Valley and really my journey with all of this started in the nineties, watching kind of the adult group at that time. You know, I was young, I was a first child and then teenager growing up in that space, watching kind of the, tech takeover, and then also this question around mental health and a lot of people with mental illness. And, you know, pretty soon antidepressants were everywhere and they were starting to come into our communities and people's attitudes changed. And, you know, it was just kind of odd for me to see that. And then I didn't think too much about that specifically when I was that age. I just kind of recognized it. I was, you know, an athlete. I was a scholar. I was, you know, kind of growing up on a trajectory of of what you think of as kind of normal, you know, United States success. And um, but at the same time, I also understood that there was something, this undercurrent that was at play. And I thought to myself, even at that age, if I just go down the same path that everyone's going down, I'm going to end up in this place where I'm going to be in my 40s and I'm going to be, for some reason, incredibly successful have this big house and be on antidepressants. And it just didn't make sense to me how the path could ultimately unfold there. And I didn't have an example, obviously, for anything else. And I ended up uh, going to the university. I studied anthropology and archaeology, like like you said. And um, that opened my eyes to other cultures. And I became fascinated with other cultures, just the extinct cultures and living cultures. And then this evolution of humanity you know, what was really interesting about paleoanthropology and archaeology was that it expands the timeline in which you think about the past. So you're not just thinking about even 10,000 years ago, you start thinking about a million years ago, or 10 million years ago, or 100 million years ago. And seeing this transformation of, of life forms here that are part of Earth, and, you know, potentially how humans ultimately came to be part of Earth. And then what really happened with them. And no one really knew or knows. It's still all theory. But there is now a lot more DNA evidence for some really interesting findings that, I mean, one of them that I think is really exciting is that we have four kinds of sapient DNA in us. I just think that that's unbelievable that mm. that we all have that. And so I was I was really interested in these other cultures and thinking that somebody in these cultures had to still have ancient knowledge. Like the ancient knowledge still had to be living. And ultimately, you know, I went through college, I graduated, and that was when I kind of had this moment of personal crisis where I didn't really have a direction anymore. The life that I had set up for myself up until that point had ultimately collapsed. One of my mentors that was supporting me and what I was going to do after the university died three months before I graduated. And so when that happened, um, the path that I I had sort of created for myself just vanished. And I realized I hadn't taken the normal path. And so I didn't have the normal way of going about 
you know, going, going kind of forward in life. And so that's when I had that watershed moment of not really knowing the direction to take and deciding to give my life to spirit, not really thinking that the response was going to be so dramatic or so fast. You know, I honestly didn't think that within 24 hours of, of that kind of watershed moment that my entire life would change all the way to leading up to being on the show with you today, you know? So it's like, I honestly didn't, I didn't think that at the time, but it did come to that point where, you know, I had that moment where I was in a place of inner darkness and I didn't know where to, where to go or how to go forward. Nothing really seemed like it fit anymore. I'd kind of seen through the veil, but there wasn't any guidance and direction. And so I did turn to great spirit and ultimately give my life to spirit that night in my mother's kitchen. And, um, you know, what happened right after that was this incredible spiritual awakening that ultimately took me down to the Amazon and into the early hands of ayahuasca. But when you say in your mother's kitchen, I haven't heard that place. But when you say you had the spiritual, you asked, you know, what is that? Because I know you were into golf and you were athletic and you used a lot of meditation and mind work. And I get that because I was I was like a diver. And I, I think that's when I realized visualization worked because I'd visualize the dive, you know, and I know that's, I mean, golf is a similar, it's a mind thing. Yeah. What is that moment in your mom's kitchen? It was this moment where I honestly, you know, I didn't know how to live anymore. My mom said to me, literally, if, if you don't want your life anymore, give it to spirit. Oh, And so... I didn't have any frame of reference for that. I had grown up in a scientific family. I didn't know what giving your life to spirit even meant. And so, but there was something in me that just needed to do that. And so I literally just turned to the the wall. It was like the wall windows. And in that moment, I, I just honestly gave my life to spirit that day, not having any frame of reference for what spirit even was. Had no beliefs in that time of spirit. And I'd only heard about it. I'd only heard people talking about it, but I felt like I needed something. I needed something that was beyond the ordinary, that was beyond the known. And like within 24 hours, I mean, I was having then these really expansive states of consciousness. I was literally interacting with spirit. Spirit was interacting with me. There was this great psychological awakening and and opening that took place. And then this watershed series of synchronicities started to happen that I just couldn't deny. I had never had life experiences like that before. Other people who are also listening to spirit just started to see me like a beacon. They would just come to me and, and, and it was unbelievable. And people would ask me questions they had never asked before. And I, I remember talking to a lady I had just met and she just looks at me really funny. And she goes, how have you been sleeping? And I said, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but not really well. Like, like I'm being visited all the time now. Really? And she goes, oh, oh yeah, I know. Here's a book that you need to read. And she just handed me this book. And I'm not kidding. I opened up the book. And in the first three chapters, it literally spoke and was written everything that had been happening to me for the previous amount of time. It was like these, these unbelievably prophetic experiences were happening. And that just led me, you know, deeper and down this rabbit hole of, of, realizing that this was real, number one. Number two, I knew that no one else around me was having those experiences with me. And uh, they needed further you know, investigation and, and going into them deeper and seeing what was really happening. And so that's exactly what I did. And ultimately, which is really amazing, within six weeks, I had been given the messages that I was supposed to go to Peru and that I was ultimately going to find people that were waiting for me there and that they were going to, you know, initiate me into the mystic arts and the shamanic arts and the healing arts and that that would ultimately become my life yeah i mean even the word shaman that wasn't part of your vocabulary right 
No, I, I did. I had only read about it and it was nothing that I could even relate to, you know, the concept of a tribal shaman. I hoped that they still existed. They were spoken about as people from the past. I, I always thought it was very interesting. The mm-hmm. idea that someone could be tapped into this, you know, this experience that was kind of beyond. But what was really amazing was as soon as this happened, I realized that I needed to turn to the shamanic as a way to try to explain what was happening to me. There was this like deep calling. So that was ultimately the tradition that I ended up looking into. And then I experienced a series of events that was like remembering. It wasn't like learning. I would read books on it and it was like I was remembering things inside of me that I already had tapped into in a way that I couldn't explain. And it was just awakening something that was deep within. And then I could actually perform the techniques that were described in these books immediately. So I could read like a chapter in a book about journeying and then I could go do it. I could read about like a past life regression. I could do it. I could read about soul retrieval. I could do it. And there was just this deep like a kinship with the traditions and the practices that I felt. And then I was, like I say, hoping that there was still people who really knew the ancient arts and that were part of ancient lineages that I could somehow find because at that time, the neo-shamanic revolution hadn't happened. You know, it was, you, there was really no trodden path about how to go find a shaman or, you know, a plant medicine practitioner. It was just grab a backpack and head to South America and hope for the best. Yeah, well, so I had this visual of you with this backpack. You listen to this voice tell you to go. So you you listen and go. And then you get off of an airplane and you're just going to Google where to go. <laughs> like, what jungle do I enter? <laughs> Not even that. I mean, I, I did ask that same question, right? I would go into journey and I would be in this deep meditation and trance state. And I would just say, like, how am I supposed to do this? And I would wait for an answer. And the answer was was really simple. I was told to do a journey like that every day. And that every day I would be told what to do the next day. And that I would just follow that path literally day by day. And that my, you know, at that time, I lost all notion of what the future would be. It was, you know, the experiences I were having were so overwhelming. It wasn't like I could think of like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or anything like that. And so I just, uh, I just would do this meditation, this, you know, trance to connect with spirit and, and see what answers I had. And it really did just unfold just like that. Every day I was told exactly what to do. I would go and do it. And um, I was guided directly. I had a series of experiences uh, that led up to it, but I was guided by a number of people I met along the path into the Amazon and ultimately into the hands of the guides that were the only ones that guided into the area of the forest where Julio lived. And then it was there that I had my first ayahuasca ceremony. And it was in that ceremony, I had the visions that that's where I was going to live and train which made no sense to me because it was, you know, uninhabited forest other than eight families that lived along this little bit of forest. But it turned out that one of those groups was uh, Julio Jarena Pinedo's group in his house. And he was a 85, 86-year-old elder who was considered one of the master vegetalistas or shamans in that area. What's coming to me now is I'm sure you've done past life regressions. You've been a shaman in many lives, right? You've been that's why you're pulled there. That's why everything was so natural. And it was just a remembrance. Yeah. I mean, I have connection when I do those kinds of experiences. I always go back to pre-tribal societies. I always go back to real deep connections with cave people and, you know, very small groups 
and like very, very long in the past. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, even into the past is sort of where I end up going. And yes, I, I see all different kinds of shamanistic practices and am part of them in some way. Yeah. I mean, even that you were drawn to archaeology, you mm. know, that shows that you're, you know, I, I have children. So it's interesting, teenagers. And I always am like listening to what they love, you know, and I'm mm. thinking, oh, I wonder what did they, they're on the crew team, the rowing team page. My well, They both are, but the oldest one found it first. And I thought, I wonder if she was on a boat in a past, like she just got on that boat and loved it. I'm like, where did that come from? But it's so neat to see as a mom, like, because I know, like listening to your story and what you're drawn to and then where it leads you to and like, and why, because it's a remembrance of something from a past life. Okay, so you're in the Amazon, you've done your first ayahuasca ceremony explain that. I know a lot of people listening to this understand what ayahuasca is, but I want you to explain it because you've done what, 1500 or more of these? Yeah, since then I have, yeah. Crazy. (laughs) And I've never done one, but I'm drawn to it. I know I'm going to go to Blue Morpho. Like I I just, it's like, it's called me and I was like, anyway, so let's go there. Ayahuasca, first ceremony. Yeah, it was a it was a magical experience. I had heard about it. I knew very little. I had literally met two people who had actually experienced it before me, and the response that I got from them was almost nonverbal. It was just like whoa, like that was it. No one could even tell me what was going on. And I read I had read a story about it, a firsthand account, and I just thought to myself, "There's no way it could be that intense. There's no way it could move that fast." Although I didn't really have a frame of reference. So it was also a little arrogant to even think I would know, you know, but I I met a, I was taken to an ayahuasquero, an ayahuasca shaman. And we went into the forest and we collected plants together and we cooked the ayahuasca together, which was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we were sitting on this, the edge of this river bank under a little thatched roof A-frame on dirt on the ground. And there was a, it was really a beautiful setting because it was right on a river that was about 50 yards wide. And so you could see of the river bank and you could see the river and you could see the trees growing up to 100, 150 feet on the other side and, you know, the moon and the stars, whatnot. So I, I, we sit down and we have the ayahuasca there and he pours me a cup of it. And I probably had somewhere between four and six ounces, I would think. And I wasn't sure if I had been given enough. I didn't think I had probably been given enough. I had no idea. I just drank it. It didn't seem like it was that much. And it went in. And when it went in, I felt like something, like the kind of home. It just hit me like, this is so natural. I thought to myself, I don't understand why anyone purges from this or throws up. Like, why? It just felt so good in my body. It felt like something had, uh, like very natural had happened. And I was just sitting there for the first, I would think, 15 minutes. And I kind of felt a warming go through the body. There's this kind of relaxation that you experience and a kind of warming. It goes down to your feet. You feel it. And then pretty soon, I was feeling a little odd, I have to say. Like, I felt like something has, was was definitely odd. And <laughs> I started to look around. And, and looking around was different. I, it's hard to explain how. It was just different. I realized, like, okay, something's happening. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, if, if this is it, I'll be okay. Like it was starting to like get stronger and I, I didn't know what was coming and I started to get scared. 
And I thought, okay, if this is it, I'll be okay. And in all honesty, it didn't stop getting stronger for another four and a half hours. Oh my gosh. So the shaman starts to play this, this rattle that's called a shakapa. It's like a leaf instrument. So it's like, like hundreds of leaves that makes this shik sound. So it goes shik, 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 shik. And I start looking around and I see these little pixelations of light everywhere, like in the air. They're just in the air. The air becomes alive. The air becomes like, like stardust everywhere. And it just gets stronger and stronger. And they start to move with the rhythm. And then from them, they started to form all of these really dense and very intense, colorful geometric patterns. And it was not like looking at like the shape of the wallpaper behind you or, you know, a two-dimensional drawing. This was through the air itself. And it started to intertwine and interconnect absolutely everything. And they were moving with the chants of the shaman and with the sound of his shakapa. And at that point, the nausea started. I mean, it started to get like, like the whole world was starting to kind of warp and move. And, and then the nausea started and I started to purge and I threw up and I didn't think much of it. But when I purged, everything just burst into these unbelievably strong visionary experiences where I saw unbelievably bright white light. And then I saw all of these colors and kaleidoscopic imagery going in all directions. And it just sucked me in. Like I just got sucked into this, this alternate state and this other world. And I lost absolute contact with the physical world around me. It was gone. Like the geometric patterns were gone. The sound of the shaman was even no longer there anymore. And I was completely in an alternate state in reality. And I was definitely not okay. Like I was <laughs> not in a stable state with that. I immediately thought I was going to die. I immediately thought I had been poisoned. I started to vomit very, very heavily. And as I did, this portal opened up and it was swirling and it had this gravitational force with it. It was like pulling me in. And as it was doing that, the closer I got, the more intense it would get. And what it was doing was like, as it would get more intense, it was like my brain would just defrag into all of the negativity, all of the pain, trauma, suffering, traumas I had experienced, all of the ways I had identified with anything negative down to like the nanosecond that it had happened. And any, anything that I was carrying, any weight I was carrying, and it would just suck me in and I would feel like I was going completely insane. And when that happened, I would get really scared and all this adrenaline would go through me and then I would purge and I would purge it all out. And that would give me like two or three breaths of, of kind of rest. And then it would all start again. And it wasn't just one vision and then another and then another. It was like 50 to 100 strobe lights going off all at the same time, each with a different memory, each with a different awareness, as it was literally going through the totality of what I had been up until that moment and just cleansing it, literally cleansing it of everything. So this, this experience of vomiting and being sucked into that vortex and vomiting and being, and that over and over and over again lasted about three to four hours. And during that time, I went through my life, my entire life over and over and over and over and over again. And um, I finally got to the point where I had removed all the phobias. I had removed all the insecurities, all of the anxieties, all of the stresses, all of the negative memories. 
I had forgiven everybody. I had met all the spirits of anybody and everybody I had ever interacted with. They Forgiveness was given in all directions. Everything was cleansed and released, but there was still something deep inside of me that was just sick. I don't know how to describe it better than it was ill. It was, it was something putrefied inside of me. And I had no idea even what it was. It had no context. And by this point, I'm literally dug into the ground. Like I was on dirt. I'm dug into the ground. I'm covered in mud from the sweat. I had sweat buckets through this experience. I couldn't move. I was so exhausted. And I thought to myself, I didn't die. I survived this. I survived this experience. And then I thought to myself, I might die of exhaustion. Like I was so, so wrung out. And at that point, the shaman came over to me and he took this mapacho, which is this kind of jungle tobacco, and he blew it over my body three times. And it was wretched, the smell. Like you get so, your, your sense of smell gets so turned on. And it was, it was just wretched, the smell of the smoke, but it made my stomach just collapse. And I felt literally hands like walking up my esophagus like this, just walking up my body. And then this huge purge came like a dry heave. And I felt something get lodged in my throat and it ultimately came out of my mouth. And it was a physical object about the size of a small lemon. What? And it was gelatinous. It was the shape. It was like the shape of a lemon. You couldn't see through it. It held its shape and form. It was absolutely neon green and it glowed and it pulsated. And it came out physically. It was on the ground for about 30 to 45 seconds. And then it started to dematerialize into the ground. And it it left a stain of it there. This was an actual physical thing. And when it came out of me, that illness was gone. It was gone. And it was like this, this kind of like shroud or, or of darkness or negativity that had been part of, of my life since I was a child was relieved. It was like a core wound or trauma was gone and everything opened up into light. Everything opened up into absolute ecstasy. Every single possible color known and unknown became brilliant and bright. White light was everywhere shining. The presence of source and divinity had flooded the space. There were every kind of spirit from nature spirits to astral spirits to angelic spirits were there. Beings of light glowed in all directions. It was un believable. It had gone from literally the most terrifying experience I had ever had to the most enlightened, awakened, amazing, magnificent scenario. And instead of that vortex that was kind of pulling me down, it opened up. And this other like scene that was just heavenly opened up above me and I flew up into it. And in it literally was anybody and everybody I had ever even come across, whether they had been people I had passed in traffic, whether it was somebody you walked by at the mall, whether it was any kid that had ever been in school, it was literally millions of people were there. Millions of people were all in the space and every single spirit that we've ever heard about from any kind of mythology were all in there. And it was just this absolute celebration of divinity and love. And at the end of it, the final vision of that experience was that I had actually found my apprenticeship and that I was going to stay there. And that's where I was ultimately going to train and study and learn. And that's actually exactly what happened. I've never, I never heard you talk about the lemon thing coming out of your mouth. Yeah. Uh, this time. And does that something that since you've led so many of these ceremonies, have you seen that come out of people? Actually, very interesting. Uh, just this last month, we had two guests that actually purged physical objects similar to that. Yeah, it doesn't happen all the time, but actually a physical glowing kind of object came out of them. And 
kind of physical manifestations of purging is pretty common. It can happen, I would say, pretty much in every retreat of different kinds of, of sort of psychomagical slash psychosomatic physical manifestations ultimately coming out of somebody and being part of their experience. Yeah. And having the same, like where it opened up everything after that? Ha- uh, not for everybody. Uh, a lot of people open up into really kind of very deep source experiences. That was sort of like a, a pretty, I think, unique experience that I had in that moment. But just as an example, like out of like 25 people last week with us, all report having had direct experience of source, like full on direct interaction with source and, of you know, in that kind of unconditional love and divine bestowing of healing and well-being upon everybody. Is it always similar stories or is it always a different experience? I think very different, but now over the years, after hearing thousands and thousands of them, there are some similarities. Like many people see light. Many people hear of a kind of communicative voice. Many people experience just a kind of unconditional love that you can't put into words. Once you experience it, it makes sense why people called it unconditional love, a kind of omnipresence. So before it's an experience of like, they don't know where source is. And then afterwards, source is in through and all around them. So that omnipresence of source is now part of their consciousness. It's really an awakening of their consciousness to what source has always been that their consciousness hasn't been able to experience yet. So there are those kinds of similarities. And then there's the the kind of mental, emotional healing that just always comes when that awakening happens. And also this the miraculous can occur. And I've always been a huge fan of when the true miraculous is occurs and is bestowed. It's one of my favorite things to try to be a part of creating and manifesting with people. And so that can just be always just mind-blowing because it can be physical changes, it can be mental, emotional changes, it can be consciousness changes in people, but everybody comes out of it and agrees it is truly miraculous. It is like a miracle has happened and their life has changed forever because of it. Wow. You know, I was listening to one of like thinking of the people that you've helped in this, in your 20 years of 20 years now. Yeah. 20, yeah, 20 a little 20 plus. Yeah. Crazy. But when you think of like the, you know, you've done so many and you have different experiences each time. Do you have, you talk about setting an intention and when people come to blue Morpho, which we'll talk about, but that's, this is his retreat center for everybody listening. That's in, um, down in Peru, it's called Blue Morpho, like the butterfly. So when you lead these people through, like a, if I came, when I come down and you would, I would sit with you and, and I would give you my intention. Is that how you explain? Like you, you would want to help me accomplish my intention for that journey? Yeah. The nature of attention, intention and shamanism and these kind of healing practices is really a kind of like code. It's a sacred communication between you and the universe where you're expressing to the universe, not just your reasons for being there, but what is truly guiding the nature of the transformation that you would like to have or your purposes for being part of the the ceremonies themselves. And so I work with intention. It's, It's always been how we navigate. It's how we guide and direct the space. And when you feel, fulfill someone's intentions, ultimately what manifests in their life is what they're really looking for. And so some people have intentions around healing. Some people have intentions around shifting consciousness to improve their life. Some people want to improve their relationships. 
So we typically work around what I think of as like the core four principles that people look for in life. One is their health and it's all kinds of health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And then there are other relationships and that's relationship to self, relationship to friends and family, and then kind of your inner circle, your community and your society and what it is to be human. And then there's your spiritual connection and spirituality, source and divinity. And then there's your financial life and your professional life, and ultimately then your legacy. And so the intentions usually fit within those four categories. And we try to help people understand the mentalization of that, but then also allow themselves to open up in their heart to where they're really holding their intentions. It's sort of like deep in their soul. It's deep. It's really deep in your spirit and it's what's really driving you. And so in that sense, we help people not only come up with, you know, the way to be able to think about it and frame it, but also how to be able to open up. And one of my favorite things to teach is when you work with the plants to be able to receive the plants and let them know what's really inside your heart and let them know your intention from that kind of energy, not just the words that we create around it, because that energy communicates such a deep truth that that's what the plants can really follow. Yeah. And and also what I've learned from you is the ayahuasca plant, once it's into your body, it can find the illness or the... Yeah. Ayahuasca and the medicinal plants from the forest are fundamentally incredibly intelligent. And there's obvious plant intelligence out there that we can witness kind of from the external observational state you know, like the the way forests work and the way forests can communicate and the plants in the forest and stuff. It's, it's incredibly intelligent, but there's this, through the ayahuasca experience, there's this way where you can really understand and experience the intelligence from the plants. And they go through you and they scan you in a way that's diagnostic. They go through you in terms of you, yourself, your personality, but then they also go through you at a cellular, molecular, and atomic level. They'll change your atomic vibration, they'll change your chemistry, and then they'll also change how the cells are are ultimately functioning. And you can experience that in a very real and direct way. And they always do that. That's part of how the plant medicine in the forest is uh, conducted. Since you have done over 1500 of these, you know, what is your body? Like you're obviously healthy. What is your intention? Do you have a different intention each time you decide to do that? Yeah, I mean, I've gone in evolutions. Typically, the intention I hold when I work with people is to fulfill all of their intentions. So I think if I'm helping everybody fulfill their intentions and I'm creating this bridge between the plants and the plant spirits and the participants and really creating a copacetic relationship, that that's like the fundamental need of our role. And then obviously the guiding of the the entire experience, but really helping create that bond and that, that bridge at first. But then as we go through our own progression, we're always students, you know, we do reach proficiency and we are given different titles of mastery and stuff like that. But I've always thought that we're always learning from the universe through the totality of our lives. And I like to think of all of us 
as you know, babies or young children of this universe. And so I think even the oldest ones of our species are still so young compared to the whole universe or compared to Earth that I just think of ourselves in that way and that we're always learning and there's this great thirst to learn and receive more information. And so I'm always trying to learn more healing arts. I'm always trying to stay healthy and ultimately be healthier as an individual, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, personally, physically. And then I also love to train. So I loved the practices and I love to continuously train and continue to kind of push that envelope and keep the practices fresh. And so those are always my intentions as well, depending on kind of what phase of that I'm in. How many of you drink coffee in the morning? I know most of you do, or if you don't, it's because you have found an alternative to have instead of coffee because of the side effects coffee may have. I have been drinking Four Sigmatic for the past three years because I realized its ingredients were much healthier than just the regular organic coffee I was drinking. Four Sigmatic helps people achieve wellness with the world's most nutrient-dense ingredients. It enhances focus, boosts your mood, and even supports your immune system. It is mixed with functional mushrooms like lion's mane and chaga, These superfoods are some of the most studied wellness supporting supplements on the planet. Try it risk-free today, and if you don't love it, get your money back. Go to go.forsigmatic.com forward slash uncover magic and receive 30% off your order when you use the code uncover magic. You talk about death, the way you describe it. And, you know, you were talking in one, something I was listening to that, you know, if you were given three months to live, you would do ayahuasca every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. So explain that because that really, you know, and how you perceive death. You really, yeah, you've been so fun to learn from (laughs) Hamilton. Um, But yes, it's just, you know, your way of like, I mean, this book, Journey of One, I've read it like you could read it. I've given it to people, but you could read it and I've read it over and over. But it's what I feel like those sentences are, because it's so easy to read, are things that you've been taught through your ayahuasca journeys, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, You know, death is a phenomena. And fundamentally, I don't believe in it in the way that people have framed it. I think that we've been given a mythology and a series of beliefs about it, and no one really knows, and that you have to live this life to its conclusion. I transcended the fear of dying through having near-death experiences, but then also realizing that all of my ancestors from the very first humans until now have completed that process. And if they could do it, I know I could do it too, and that it's natural, and that there's literally nothing to fear. And then I went from that notion which was actually really interesting because the ayahuasca taught me that I needed to actually grieve and mourn my own death and the death of the loved ones around me while I was still alive, literally right then when it gave me the lesson. And so then I actually grieved everybody. I've I've already grieved everybody. I've been through that entire process at the deepest level that I could so that I understood that I could celebrate their life, not be sad over their death. And then I realized that death wasn't an ending, but it was actually a beginning. And it was a natural kind of transformation and that the physical body has always been made of earth and it's still made of earth. And what's really interesting about the physical body is that our physical bodies right now are made of matter that's over 13 billion years old. 
So what makes up our body is over 13 billion years old. Well, my consciousness in this body as this body has represented 44 years and you 54 years. So we share this matter of this earth that's billions of years old, that's been churning and changing for these billions of years, ultimately to be able to create this vessel that I think is truly sacred and miraculous amongst all of us. And then there's this thing that we call death. And I don't see it as an ending at all, but rather a beginning. And so I've reframed it as a birth. And that what we're birthed into is something beyond here. Some people reincarnate. Some people go to other realms. Some people go into other forms of dimensionality. Some people go in consciousness and continue the work that they're doing in forms of consciousness. Other people become angelic and become light beings. And I've seen that that we don't all share what comes next and that we can actually have a very profound effect on what comes next for us. We can really petition and describe what we're we're evolving into while we're alive ourselves. And so I've thought of death as actually the birth into something new. And I've reframed time around it from this lifetime to the idea that our soul or the real core of our consciousness is already infinite and eternal. And so it's an impossibility to come to an ending, like some kind of abrupt ending the way that we're actually presented the idea. And so I'm not fixated solely on the physical body. I actually have really wild ideas around that. From studying science, I understand that what we see in the physical body is actually a reflection of light. And where we see that reflection of light is inside our mind. And our mind is actually a phenomena of the brain. And so what I'm seeing isn't really outside of me. What I'm seeing is the image of it is actually being created by myself, by my mind. And it's a stimulation of the optic nerve and stimulation of the brain itself. And so when I see you in something like ayahuasca, you're actually a multidimensional field already. You're already typically three, four, five times the size of your body. You're already all these different colors of rainbow and incredibly different like multicolored light. You're already in this field of consciousness that is both supporting your life and also creating your awareness of it. And so I believe that that's something that we naturally transcend into and that what comes beyond this experience is actually something magnificent. And so if I had three months, I would just want to prepare for that. I would want to prepare for that moment and be fully embracing of it so that I can like really absorb what that experience is. Mm-hmm. And I always thought the experiences that you have in this life just once are the ones that are most impactful. Like we're only born truly once right. in the physical body sense. Like that birth is only once. Right. Like other things we do kind of what we think of over and over in terms of an activity, but that birth and then that death, which I think is also birth. So like this other kind of birth is something that I think is so sacred that I would want to be fully prepared for it and fully embracing of that moment. When you had your near-death experience, when you had malaria, I wanted to ask you about that is what you just said a minute ago was we have the ability, even in this life, to pick where we go next in our next birth. And when you just had that feeling where you almost could say, well, I'm going to tell source, I'm not done yet. So will you explain that? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was it was truly phenomenal. It, at first, it was very odd because I didn't know what was happening. And I didn't know at that time I had malaria. But what had happened was that the malaria had incubated in my blood, in the red blood cell. And it had actually burst the red blood cells. And so I didn't have enough red blood cells to carry enough oxygen anymore to keep me, you know, quote unquote, alive. 
And so even though I was breathing normally or even gasping for air, I wasn't actually able to be oxygenated enough. And little by little, I just felt organal system shut off. And then I went and that was it. I was just, you know, I just, I, it was time to go. And I went and what came next was just the most amazing series of experiences. I was fully aware. I was fully conscious. There was no negative sensations. There was no fear. Everything that had been my life up until that point had all come apart and was all spirit. It was all energetics. It was all the material world had become energetics. My life had become energetics. My family was energetics. The history of the universe was all there. It was all energetics. And I started to go through it. I was navigating through it and kind of just coming to terms with it all and being okay with it. It was like, there wasn't any problem in it to have to get over. It was just recognizing it and being grateful for the experience and then kind of moving on. And then I found myself in, in a tunnel of white light. I saw this bright white light and I was going towards the white light and it seemed to take an unbelievably long time. I don't know why. It just seemed like it was long time, like years it seemed like to be in this experience that I was going through this and it was just happening. And when I got really close to the end of the white light, and it didn't have any context. It wasn't like, oh, that's source or that's God or anything. It just, it was this brilliant white light, but I knew that I could communicate with it and I knew it was intelligent and I knew it knew me. Like it knew me for sure. It was there waiting for me. And when I got really close to it, what maybe was like 20 or 30 yards away from it, I realized that I was dying. Like I realized all of a sudden in that moment that I was really dying and that it wasn't time for me to die. And so I, I said to it, I said, it's not time for me to die. Send me back to my body. You know, this is, this is not time. Like there's so much more I have to do. And it was incredible. Like this, this sort of circular white light that was there turned into this form. Like it could catch me. It had depth to it. It was concave and it was kind of thicker on the edges and it was massive and it was powerful. And it came right out of the white light and it just swallowed the totality of me. And when it hit me, it was very intense. There wasn't physical pain because there wasn't physical pain to have, but if you could scream and if you could feel pain, you would have, it was very intense, but just the impact of it. I remember being so uh, forceful and that whole space that took like years was now seconds. And it just rocketed me right back into body. It just went boom like that. And I was back in body and I was conscious. And it was at that moment that I realized that I needed to get medical attention immediately. And that was a really interesting experience because there were other people in the room and they thought I was dead right. and they were crying and hysterical that I had died. And they were saying, oh my God, what are we going to tell his mother? What do we do? Who do we call? You know, like, he's dead. He's dead. And I tried to tell him I wasn't dead. I said, <laughs> I'm not dead. I'm, I'm alive. And then that scared them worse. <laughs> right? sure. That totally scared them worse. And now I wasn't dead. I was alive. They're like, it's a miracle. He's alive. But what happened? Who is he? You know, he came back from the dead. And so I had to calm them down enough to actually get me to a, a taxi and then from the taxi, get me to the hospital. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I was listening, I was in the hospital room when you were describing that story <laughs> and I was seeing everybody and crying and what that experience would have been if I was watching you, you know, it's like, wait, <laughs> you're dead. You know, yeah. like I'm so confused. So in this book that, so in the journey to one, you know, you talk all the different subjects and the one that really I wanted you to explain was time. Mm. 
The universe has no time. Everything starts now. And memories are now. They are not in the past. Those are the two that I wrote down just because I that was like, huh, I really had to sit there and ponder those two. Could you give me your perspective on time? What you've sure. learned in your journey. I mean, what you've really, that you've learned from source. Yeah, time's a phenomenon. It, it's a kind of dimensionality. It's an aspect of the universe, but it's not what we think of. So when I wrote that there is no time in the universe, what I meant is like the idea of time passing, the idea of 60 seconds to a minute, those kinds of concepts. Those are concepts that we created and we created tools and technology to represent it. And so it's very real for us, but it's not fundamentally factual to the way time really is. It's That's a measurement of time. And time is a, like I say, it's a phenomenon. So we've given the word time to it, but it's a, a state of the universe and it's a kind of infinity. It's the infinite state of the universe. The universe never goes away. It's always. And by always, I mean all the ways that it is. And it also never repeats itself. And so when we have a memory, we're referencing something that we relate to in terms of the past. It gives kind of a linear context to our life, but it's actually a, like a, a quantum rearrangement of everything that's actually going on right now. And so our brain is creating the memory. It's using quantum and energy and subatomic to be able to do that. It gives perfect context to life itself. It's a perfect linear nature of journey for us and we can relate to it, but it's only something that we're relating to. It's fundamentally no longer part of the universe. The universe has taken all of that experience. It has already reshaped itself. The quantum has already changed in terms of which quantum particles are where, et cetera. And it's constantly reviving itself in terms of this creative force. And the universe creates in real time. It, it wasn't created, it's creating. It's creating what's happening right now. And we're part of that creation. And so I know it's hard at first to kind of wrap our heads around because we were taught the past really is this immutable truth, but it fundamentally isn't. It's a perspective and a point of view. And we've related that that perspective and point of view is fundamental reality and that we all share that reality, but it's really like a collective hypnosis or a collective dream that we all agree to in terms of the nature of our experience. And so I don't deny the notion of the idea of having past experience, but I don't think that even that experience is fully relatable to what the universe was or is at that time. Even right now, I think we know less than 0.0 forever 1% of what's really going on. And it's a constant real-time manifesting state, not a past, present, and future state, the way that we've tried to orient the totality of creation. If we're very fixated on light itself and the reflection of light, which is what makes us transfixed on physical objects, then that's what we're creating in our mind, which is how we've been taught to live. It's how we navigate the physical world. It's why we don't run into things and stuff like that. But the Western world has made us, the Western organization of life has made us fixate on it all the time. And so we're basically constantly walking through a kind of maze and navigating a kind of maze that, of our own creation. And so we're, we're hyper fixated on the physical. When we go into altered states of consciousness that are much more open than that, we actually move through this linear fixation on time and time just becomes part of the field. And like I say, it's, it's not even eternity the way it gets described. It's actually representative of the infiniteness of the universe and that that infiniteness of the universe is truly permanent and it equates to source 
and it's a real-time form of creation that's taking place right now. Wow. And let's talk about that, what's happening right now, because you're a big, you, first of all, you've had this retreat center, the Blue Morpho, for what, 15 years? Yeah, and Blue Morpho started in actually 2002, so 20 years now. Oh, 20 years now. And, you know, I look at, you know, where, who I've been interviewing, I guess, is my frame of reference. You know, I see coming to you where it's like, okay, you know, this ayahuasca has been buzzing in my ear for probably since the year 2000. And I'm like, I'm doing that. I just had this, I know, you know, you're being called, right? So in your 20 years of this retreat center that you've created, have you seen like recently, has it been a, a slow growth? Do you see this world, this awakening that we're happening? Like it's people are really drawn to you now. And now you're teaching. I mean, I'm like, I need to go. I want him to teach me the conscious, the elite consciousness training. Like that's <laughs> I that's what I'm going to do when the girls go to college. I'm going to be learn the elite consciousness. Do you learn that? So go to what's what's going on in this world right now, Hamilton. Well, I think what's happening is a tremendous awakening is taking place. And the sacred plants and visionary plants are part of it. At the same time, there's also tremendous pressure to try to maintain the systems in the way that they were originally created or imagined or or just control systems around that. But fundamentally, consciousness is expanding and consciousness is finding its voice and finding its way through the nature of those patterns. I think consciousness is an omni-dimensional, omnidirectional kind of phenomenon. And so you can put up as many rules and barriers and walls as you want, and it won't matter. Consciousness is always going to continue to evolve in different ways. And so, you know, ultimately that's what's happening. The sacred plants and the visionary plants are growing in popularity. There's a tremendous psychedelic renaissance that's happening in the world right now. That isn't new, just so people, you know, understand. That's new in the last maybe 100 years or two, 300 years, or in the Western cultures over the last maybe 1,000 years. But there's strong evidence that pretty much all populations through the early history and development of, of Homo sapiens sapien or, or of human beings use these plants, these different kinds of visionary or psychedelic plants at a very, very regular basis and commonly throughout many different cultures. So I think we as a species have been utilizing these plants all the time whenever big advancements in consciousness are about to take place. And we're on our horizon right now. We're on this event horizon, which is really interesting, where science has expanded and mathematics sort of a universal language of science has expanded so dramatically in the voracious capacity of using computers to model and simulate and understand in the last 20 years that it has accelerated our understandings in ways that has really brought this convergence of biology and synthetic biology and chemistry and machine learning and you know, computing and quantum computing and AI and all of this stuff together at the same time. And ultimately what's fueling it is consciousness. Human evolution and innovation is fueling this sort of greater tool that we've created. And so all of this is part of this great awakening that's taking place and this great shift that's taking place. If we focus on the negative, we're not going to see it because it's so, that negative is kind of so bright. It's just so overwhelming and it makes us scared and that makes us so small in our understanding. But when we shed that and we look at what's really going on, we're at this event horizon that within the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we're going to cross, which I think is where science and 
the core, like the core philosophy of science and the core philosophy of the world's religions and the core philosophy of the spiritualities and even philosophy itself ultimately come to this intersection or unification point and a great awakening, a great watershed of intelligence takes place and that we're actually really right on the cusp of it. And it's tremendously exciting. And I see that, you know, things that I've been interested in, you know, 20 years ago, like ayahuasca, no one was really even talking about in a in like a way that could be shared. There were different groups, small groups doing this kind of very quietly. And then we were one of the first groups to get, you know, global publication about it and about the work that we were doing in a, a positive way. The neo-shamanic revolution happened, which was a reawakening of interest in the shamanic cultures and tribal knowledge from around the world. That took place from 2006 to 2010, 2012. The psychedelic renaissance has started and has been going on, which is this tremendous desire in people to really take back the control of their mental health and well-being and also use visionary plants as a way to accelerate their growth and optimize. And I started talking about that in around 2007, 2008, like this can happen. Even the book, which was written in 2005, 2006, says shifts in consciousness. I was talking about shifting consciousness, utilizing these experiences to really optimize and improve not only our understandings, but also our lives, like the experience of our lives itself, this incredible way to optimize through this. And so I've actually seen that branching out and growing through the world over the last 20 years. And it's something I'm actually truly grateful for and very hopeful for. You know, I look at when you say up to 50 years, we'll see this transition. I look at what you do in the, when I visualize where, where you live and doing the plant medicine, that's, we'll all be doing that. That's, I mean, I feel like we're, we're going to be growing our own food. You know, we don't, it's going to, the medicine's going to be our, our doctors. Like that's where we're going. That's how I visualize it. That's like when they people say, oh, we're 5D, we're the Earth's in a fifth dimension right now. We're just, you know, I see that. I visualize, you know, communities like what I visualize you living in, us all living like that. Do you? I think that there's going to be this great evolution on what we think of as urban environments. We get born into these environments and we don't really think that the historical context for them is so short. I don't think they're going to last very long. They're takers from the environment to be able to sustain themselves. And I think ultimately that the earth out evolves that faster than the kind of continued growth of that. Right. So it's based on a very simple architecture, right? It's kind of a rinse and repeat model to be able to grow cities and megalopolises and stuff like that. At the very same time, innovators and futurists and technologists are actually thinking wildly into the future. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about being able to program biological matter to be able to grow homes. Like mm -hmm. literally mycelium growing itself out of the ground into livable structures. They're talking about like the ability to transfer information without the need of a computer interface. They're talking about a kind of ability beyond even like what we would think of as teleportation. They're talking about like by locating in different locate, you know, different parts of the world at the same time. This is like the futurist thinking. And then there are the people who are actually trying to parse that out and figure out how you would actually build and create the technologies to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. As the building styles that, that are currently being created are going to be changed with 3D printing. 
like different kinds of organic materials are going to be all of a sudden popular to use. Law is going to change around the use of different kinds of materials and the financial pressures that have created what we see around us are going to disappear. I think this is all like absolutely natural evolution and I'm seeing it already in, in the technology spaces. You know, people think of like the global economy as a, a bedrock of society. That's evolving. That's evolving all the time. People, you know, think politics is a stagnant thing. It's not. It's evolving all over the world. I've met these incredible thinkers who have really forward-thinking political philosophies that aren't just embedded in the way that we've known politics over the last two, three hundred years. And so I think as the generations just little by little wake up and change and evolve and are presented with an entire new reality, that with that comes a natural evolution. And it actually doesn't take very long for massive radical change, but in a very positive way. Like, I do not believe in revolution of any kind. It seems like a starting over of the same problem. Right. I think of this as a natural growing, take everything that's good from what we've learned and improve upon it. And things that aren't working anymore, those are obsolete technologies, let them go. Like, update our systems like we update our phones. Right. Like, well, you I know, think that with me, I'm, I have a mom, I'm a mom with these kids in school and I'm like, that is so <laughs> talk about needing to upgrade. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I almost have this, you know, they come home and say, why do we, I said, I don't know why you need to learn that. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could go sit with Hamilton and learn elite consciousness training? <laughs> That's what I want to do. <laughs> but I mean, I can see the kids of this, you know, with, with parents like me or, you know, you that have this drive to always expand and know more about our consciousness and how to help people. I started thinking about me learning that, like seeing where I would go. And I, I was thinking, gosh, you know, my girls, I can see them following that. And then that whole generation is going to be down at Blue Morpho, running all these different retreats. I can just see them. I can see it all over the place. Well, I appreciate that that thought. I mean, I would love to think that consciousness would become really interesting to people and that we would understand that there's something about existence that's much more important than just utilizing it for our concepts right now of personal gain or social role. I think there's this moment where that's really interesting. I mean, going from, you know, where you're born into a family and that you have to do what your family does. That was five, six, seven generations ago. Then choice started to show up and then specialization started to show up. And I don't think any of these things are good. I just think that they're a natural change in evolution. And pretty soon we come along and we like, hey, we've actually figured out how to live. We've figured out how to maintain economy. We've figured out how to provide food, medicine, and basic goods and services to everybody. We figured out clothing. We figured out where you need to live. We figured out how to be in balance with the environment. Now we can turn our attention to like really amazing things like who we are and what we are and what is the miracle of life itself and why we're, we've been incarnated and what we're doing with that. And that's those are all the consciousness studies. And I feel very blessed to have been able to dedicate a huge portion of my life to the consciousness studies. And I think that that's going to become really interesting to people, especially when they realize that it's a way to really broaden someone's experience in life. Like when you awaken your consciousness, 
You also awaken your innate intelligence. You awaken your capacities. You awaken your talents. And then you have that as now, you know, all your abilities to be able to express yourself and to be able to use them in life. And I think people will use it for innovation and people will use it for change. And I would love to think that we could be a small part of a really great expansion through the world that would be about consciousness and about how important it is as a foundation for where we're going as a species. Mm -hmm. At Blue Morpho, when you run these retreats, do people come back over and over again? Is that how, like, do they keep wanting more like you? Like, I want to keep expanding my consciousness. There are people. Like, not addicting like as a an addiction, but the way I think, like if I love something and I see the benefit, I'm going to want to go there and do it over and like keep expanding and seeing things differently. I think what's really coming in the future is the Blue Morpho Academy. And we're in the process of creating it right now. There's a lot of people that come on multiple retreats. And then often, funny enough, in their life, they get a tremendous amount out of the retreats, but then their life starts to take on a new shape and form that actually limits their ability to come. Like many people form families and then all of a sudden have, you know, young kids and they just literally don't want to spend a minute away from their kids, you know, when their kids are really young. Other people start new careers and then they're in the process of being in a new career and things like that. I've had many relationships that have continued and endured through the entirety of our work. So I've been able to see this evolution go on with people that have been part of our community for 10, 15, even 20 years. I think what naturally happens is that there's, and like you say, an addiction to learning and to growing in your consciousness. And there's also lots of other practices other than just the use of medicinal plants and these kinds of plant ceremonies for that. And so I've also watched a lot of people experience what we do and then also do different kinds of meditation practices or explore other cultures as well. The Blue Morpho Academy is really about providing people an opportunity to learn and be able to continuously learn and grow within our community and be able to explore the consciousness arts, explore plant medicines. And we're going to be the first truly all-encompassing plant medicine certification program so that you can be certified as a sitter or a coach or a practitioner facilitator. And so we'll have these four levels within the academy so that we can actually start to train and teach people so that they can safely and professionally share these kinds of medicines and and or standardized information about them with other kinds of people around the world. Where they would have to be in Peru or in somewhere where they could be right there and go cut the ayahuasca branches? Is that something where people can come up to the States and have be a sitter and have these ceremonies. Yeah, no, it's ultimately now, you know, a global movement. And so there's going to be online training and there will be online coaching and guidance associated with that. And one of the first things we really want to tackle is just how do we talk about this? How do we talk about the experiences? What's common? What are the do's and don'ts? What are really the foundational information and understandings that we want to provide that other people can then learn and also share with others and start to propagate really what it is to be safe and sane and professional about all of this. You know, and then from there, there's actually movements into each additional layer. If you want to coach, 
You know, you could do that all over the world. There's going to be so many people who are in the life coaching industry and their clients are going to be utilizing psychedelics or plant medicines and are going to need coaching afterwards. And it's part of the integration and implementation programs. And, you know, if you're a coach already and you're working as a business coach, well, what do you do if your entrepreneurs and your CEOs all of a sudden are, you know, going on retreats and utilizing plant medicines and they're having these mind altering states and, and, and massive growth experiences? If you don't know about them, you won't be able to relate or talk to your clients anymore. So we want to be able to share information at first. And then there will be, you know, these increasing levels of sort of hands-on. And at the highest level, it'll be literally spending months at a time in the Amazon and in other parts of the world, learning how to use the plants in a traditional way and be able to support and, and be a practitioner for people. And in the simplest form, it would be coming on one week or two week retreat to be able to have the experiences and be able to speak from you know personal experience and knowledge. During COVID, when you were shut down, you had an online, it's on your website now, you could I could go on there and purchase it and do the correct. Course. Yeah, during COVID, it was the first time in 19 years that we weren't actually able to receive people at our facility, you know, in person. And we saw this incredible amount of fear go through the population all at the same time. For some, you know, very well founded. And for others, it was a kind of mental distortion that they were experiencing. And so we wanted to promote health. We saw that what was being promoted through the health systems was this kind of like way to try to stay away or, or protect yourself. And we just didn't see that as being a viable mechanism for this kind of airborne illness, you know. And so what we decided to do was really try to teach people how to stay healthy, especially healthy during quarantine, when we had a lot of our personal freedoms removed during that time. And so, you know, how do you stay mentally healthy? How do you stay physically healthy? How do you boost your immune system? How can you use plants that you can find at your health food store or at your local grocery store to be able to boost your immune system? What plants that we normally use as spices and that we normally use in our cooking are actually medicinal plants that have properties that we could use to be healthy, be healthier. And then how could we use the shamanistic techniques in conjunction with those plants to be able to even boost their efficacy and create a deeper relationship with ourselves, our bodies, sort of the mind, body, spirit connection. And so we created an online retreat about that. And we got together in groups on Zoom live during that period of time to be able to share this information and knowledge together. And we would do dietas, which were different kinds of purifications and fasts. And they were actually incredibly powerful. And we're now creating a hybrid of that program that we're going to do in person that will be done down in the Amazon at our facility. It'll be a, a place for dieta, which is a kind of diet or you know long-term purification, anywhere from six days to nine days for people to come down and work with the plants. What is your diet? What do you do? You eat meat? I eat a very small amount of meat. I eat some chicken and fish, but I really eat mostly 80 to 90% raw. And I prefer vegetables more than anything. And then some cooked vegetables and soups. I try to eat very low carb carbohydrates. I don't eat refined sugars if I can stay away from them. I try to not eat packaged foods. I luckily enough have lived in areas where you could actually still go to like open air markets and literally pick up the food that's coming farm to table and it's in the market there. And so I've lived that way my entire life. And I just love that. I fundamentally have this deep connection 
to the foods that we eat. I don't think of food as energy. I think of it as a kind of being that is going to become us. And so I see there's a sacred exchange where it's not just tomato and a tomato is 50 calories. It's, it's this tomato is becoming me. And so I welcome it. it. It's again, this kind of transformation. And so I eat very little meat. And when I do, I try to have it be light. But uh, most of the time I like to eat just vegetables and um, yeah, nuts and things like that, fruits. Oh, we've gone way over it. I'm so, so grateful for your time. And that you even went to Lima, Peru to have the internet connection. That really was very sweet of you. Oh, you're very welcome, Ashley. It's a pleasure. I was really looking forward to this. How can we, so we can find your website, Blue Morpho. Yeah, bluemorphotours.com. Okay. So you can come find us at bluemorphotours.com. And you can also see me at Blue Morpho Tours YouTube channel and Hamilton Souther on Instagram and Hamilton Souther on Facebook. And your books, your writing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I have a number of books now. I have four books on Amazon. And so you can look me up on Amazon. We actually just a couple of days ago published the second part of the story of my apprenticeship, which we talked a little bit about on the podcast. And it's called The Mystical Secrets of Ayahuasca Part Two. And it tells the second half of my apprenticeship with Julio Jarena Pinedo and goes into some really deep wisdom about you know, what you have to find inside yourself to go through a a traditional apprenticeship, but it's wisdom and information that will be really interesting to the listeners. It's directly applicable to our daily lives in the Western developed world or in a traditional world. And so I think it's uh, very exciting. It tells, it chronicles different stories that I went through, different kinds of healing stories. There's a story about the first exorcism I ever had to do and the story about healing indigenous children and some of the different tests that I had to go through during my apprenticeship. So you learn about what it takes to never give up and to always stay the course and to follow the path of medicine, to follow the path of heart and how we can apply those techniques into our normal daily life. Oh, I love it. I really, I love every, the way you write, by the way, I'm reading the the magic, money magic. Mm. What would make you write a book on money? (laughs) <laughs> write a book on money. I was looking at the world and I was trying to understand what the modern world had become. And I realized that the number one ritual that is happening right now is the exchange of money. This ritual that is always taking place in exchange for a good or service. And the unit of measurement is the money that goes between everybody. And that to me looked like a, a consistent ritualistic behavior that was now normalized in terms of what we thought of as finance and personal economy. And I looked at the spiritual people of the world and most of the people in the social hierarchies, kind of a, you know middle class down, actually spend the entirety of their time fixated on money. They can't ever get past that day-to-day necessity. And one of the things I wanted to do starting about seven or eight years ago was try to find ways to impact the larger social problems that we faced as a collective, as we faced as a global population. And so I started to look into finance and next generation technology around finance as a way to try to help people break that cycle and learn more about themselves and be able to use the power of the universe to be able to positively affect their understandings around money 
and to learn how to use certain kinds of aspects of the global economy to relieve that pressure. And that was some just very simple changes in mindset and some simple ways that we change the way we make decisions around money can actually relieve an unbelievable amount of stress. Mm-hmm. And that I just didn't see that those fundamental basics were being shared. And so I wanted to write a book about that to try to show that our mindset has a tremendous amount to do with how we experience finances. And a lot of it just has to do with finances as a as a part of that everyday ritual. Yeah, I really enjoy I'm not done with it yet, but, you know, even just opening it up and reading it before I had you turn on Zoom. And I was like, oh, this is so, you just have a neat way of looking at your perspective is I really enjoyed it. And I've really enjoyed you and your time. And Thank now you very much. go back to what Lima, what's in Lima, Peru that you do? Uh, I'm just working on my projects now. I'm involved in a number of different projects. One of them is, well, many of them are related now to what they call Web3 or blockchain finance. And so I have a project in non-fungible tokens, helping artists be able to better monetize their creativity. I wanted to help global artists of all different kinds of creators be able to create and own their creations and then be able to better monetize their creations. I literally wanted to solve the starving artist problem. And so that's one of our projects. We have another project, which is to ultimately help create affordable housing and what we hope will be literally the first self-paying mortgage so that people can start to live in a way without the financial pressures of trying to pay for the housing that they currently live in. And so I'm here working on those projects. It's an exciting time. I'm kind of uh, doing a a year-long process of sort of unwinding the year and also making the plans for next year and trying to relax a little bit and uh, also enjoying the good weather. It's been unbelievably beautiful the last few days. Oh, good. I know everyone else is freezing and if we're supposed to be 80 degrees tomorrow. It's like, <laughs> like in, I'm in San Diego, by the oh, way. Oh, amazing. But um, yeah, for Christmas, right? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Hamilton. I've loved oh, you're every very welcome. minute of it. And I will, you won't be leaving my ear. I will still be, and I'll be reading your books and I can't wait to get the, the two that you just put out. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget, always look for the magic.